Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. Nick was a superstar athlete in high school. Uh, when I say superstar, I mean he, they didn't have the rating system back then. They didn't have the star system back then. If you're not familiar with that, high school football athletes and different athletes get a star rating of one to five. And that's how it is now. But they didn't have that back then. But had they had that back then, he would have been a four or a five star athlete. He was from upper New York, and he was an incredible, incredible motivator. And he was motivated by people, and he would motivate other people, and everyone on his team loved him, and he was an incredible athlete, so much so that the University of Memphis took note of his athleticism, even all the way up in upper state New York. And when they took note of his athleticism, they offered him a full scholarship to the University of Memphis. And that's what he chose to do. He had other offers from other schools, but he chose to go to the University of Memphis. And he went to the University of Memphis, And while at the University of Memphis, he started all four years. There was a game, there was a game against the Ole Miss Rebels where Memphis was down by five points and there was a punt and the punt came to Nick and Nick was the punt returner. He caught the ball and ran 93 yards to end the game and for Memphis to get the win. A game and a play that went down in the history of the University of Memphis. As a matter of fact, Nick went down in the University of Memphis. He was inducted into the University of Memphis Football Tiger Hall of Fame. While he was at the University of Memphis, he met a beautiful young lady. She was the cheerleader, of course, captain of the cheerleaders. He was a great-looking young man, and she was a beautiful young lady. And you know how the story goes, right? They fell in love, and they ended up getting married. After they got married, they relocated to Jackson, Tennessee. And when they relocated to Jackson, Tennessee, the young lady's family had owned a local business, and so instead of, instead of getting another person to try to run the business because the young lady's father was getting up in years, instead of getting someone else to run the business, they asked Nick to run it, and he did. And he excelled, and he thrived. Nick was a very shrewd businessman. He was a very shrewd businessman. And he ended up, Nick ended up going and setting up a contract with a company out of Memphis. And the contract was this. You can't provide, and you can't provide for a lesser value, this particular product to any store within around a 50-mile radius. We have to get the lowest price. They were producing so much of this and selling so much of this that the company said, great, we'll do that. A couple of years into the contract, Nick got a message from someone at the company it was someone on the inside of the company that let him know that this company had broken the contract and was selling to other places. Nick immediately sued the company, and he won an award of millions of dollars. 
Here he was, a young man, in his mid-30s by then. And he was a multi-millionaire. Many times over. Well, he did what any of us do. He sold the company. And he started playing golf. That's what he did. Oh, man, they went from a small little home, this small little home when they had been struggling. They went from this small little home. They had three beautiful girls, by the way, three beautiful girls. They went from this small little home to this massive home in one of the nicest areas in Jackson. As a matter of fact, he went out and he bought, and this was a new car back then. He went out and had just come out, the new Nissan Maxima. Ooh, all leather Everything. Hey, get this. It had a push-button radio. No more dials. It didn't have the, uh uh-uh, it was push-button. And there was this new thing that had just come out that they had just started putting in, only only the upper echelon of the vehicles, a cassette player. Well, he decided he was going to get his wife something nice, too, and he did. She got a white 300ZX, Nissan 300ZX, white sports car with T-tops. Some of you guys remember T-tops? Oh, yeah. They were living the life. Nick no longer had to work. The only problem is, is that Nick had developed a gambling problem. Nick would go play golf, and he would gamble. And Nick was a great golfer. He was a great athlete all the way around, but he would go gamble. And oh, by the way, he would also start drinking. And he was a heavy drinker as well. Heavy drinker, golfing every day at the country club. From the outside, everything looked great. But it wasn't great. You see, Nick had also decided that this beautiful wife of his, this, this beautiful this, this beautiful cheerleader who was the captain of the cheerleading squad, that she was no longer good enough, and so he started seeing other women. And he would find out later on in life that his wife had also started seeing other guys. His oldest daughter would go to high school. She would begin having some emotional problems. Distant father, absent mother. They had Everything. They had everything. They had looks. They had money. They had it all. But very soon, the money began to dry up. And they began to have to look at one another. It was funny because there was a a retreat, a Christian retreat that someone asked Nick to go on. The retreat is called the Emmaus Retreat. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Emmaus Retreat. I've been on an Emmaus Retreat before, but it was an Emmaus Retreat. And the retreat was held, it was funny because it was held where I was actually originally born at, way back in the woods (laughs) at a location called Pilot's Knob is what it's called, Pilot's Knob. And I'm telling you, it's one of those situations where you go 40 miles and you turn on the dirt road, and you're halfway there. Are you with me? I mean, you're way out in the woods. So Nick 
He's going on a Christian retreat now, right? Hadn't thought about God in years, going on a Christian retreat. Nick said, I'm going to go, but he didn't want to go. He decided he would be smart. He was like, listen, I'm going to take two-fifths of whiskey for these wacko Christians. When they get on my nerves, I'm going to sneak back to the place and drink whiskey. And I'm taking $10,000 in cash because surely those rednecks in West Tennessee will get me back to a main road where I can get home. And that's what he did. He took ten grand with him in cash in his suitcase and two things of whiskey. The only problem is, is there was a moment at the Emmaus place where they had to do a communion service. And for the first time in his life, ever, for the first time in his life, Nick saw God face to face. Now, the amazing thing is this. With the Emmaus, the way they do the Emmaus is the husband goes first, and then two or three or four weeks later, the wife will go if she wants to. And Nick's wife was scheduled to go on the Emmaus retreat. Nick came back completely changed. Well, as you guys know, sometimes you can change. But once you go back to the same old people, you know, we always know this around Christmas, right? We've changed, but we go back, and me, Mom, and people are still about the same way. You know what I mean? Once you go back, they haven't changed a bit, and that's exactly what happened with his wife. She was, they were ready for divorce. They were, she was done. But she saw this change in her husband. And so she said, I think I'll give it a try. And she did give it a try. And she too, for the first time in years, found a connection with God. And when she found the connection with God, as a couple, they committed their lives both over to Christ. Both were baptized. And literally for the next two years, for the next two years, Nick read the scriptures eight hours a day. He decided he was going to commit his life fully to Christ. As he read the scriptures eight hours a day, the money continued to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and dwindle until finally they had to move into an apartment. They had went from a massive, massive home to an apartment. But an interesting thing happened. He got a call from a guy who was on the board of a children's home. This children's home had been shut down the state had come in and shut them down because of mismanagement. And Nick got a call from this guy and said, listen, we have no children on our campus. We are only surviving by the donations that people have given us over the last nine months. Would you be willing to come and be the executive director of this children's home? And he said, I don't know. There's no children there. No, there's no children. There's no income stream except for donations. No, that's it. Okay. He was going to say no. But he prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it. And for some reason, 
He felt like God wanted him to do this, and he did it. And for the first time in his life, he finally found what it was that he was created to do. It's amazing if you read this full story behind um, the children's home that he took over because he took over the children's home. And like I said, he was a, Nick was a very great, he was a great speaker. He was a great, he, I mean, it was incredible. He, he, he took over this children's home and they started getting in children again. And he went and met with the leaders in the state and one thing led to another and they went from having six children to eight children to 16 children to 22 children to 30 children and then they started hiring staff and listen, this place was a tiny little nothing. It was kind of like a couple little homes and a little shack, uh, literally for an office. A uh, little, I mean, it was tiny and, and they, started, they started working really diligently. They built, he ended up building two, an administrative office and two brand new dormitories and, and one thing led to another. And the amazing thing is, before long, this children's home was ministering and had over 100 children on campus. And literally was ministering to over 100 children off campus on a daily basis. In their homes, talking to their families, telling them about Christ. And kid after kid after kid after kid after kid after kid gave their life to Christ and gave their life to Christ and gave their life to Christ and gave their life to Christ. And the amazing thing is, is Nick never took an ounce of the glory like he had at Memphis. It was funny. I was at his, um, I was at his, his ceremony to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. I was there. And they talked about him like he was some kind of God. And Nick got up. He rose up out of his seat. I don't know if you guys ever watched the Hall of Fame uh, in, inductions with, uh, with, the Hall, with the NFL, but a lot of them are, yeah, I did this and I did that, and here's why I'm great, and thank you, Mom and Daddy. And Nick didn't do that. Nick got up, and I'll never forget it. He got up, and he stood there, and every one of these people thought he hung the moon. They played the video from the Ole Miss game where he ran the ball back 90-something yards, and, and that was all good and fine. Nick got up. And he walked up literally with his Bible in hand. And he stood up and he began to preach to hundreds of those people there and tell them how the Lord Jesus Christ had given him a new beginning. As a matter of fact, Nick actually helped plant a church. And guess what the name of the church was? New Beginnings. Nick had been given a new beginning. And the amazing thing is for me, and I'm so thankful that he did this, but the reason I stand before you today, the reason is because when I was 16 years old, I walked into that nice house, and I rode in that nice Maxima, and I drove that 300ZX uh, a couple of times. He didn't let me drive it much, but I drove those things, and still to this day, he's like a spiritual father to me, and he's the one that gave me the opportunity to lead. He, he led me to Christ. He's the reason I'm, uh, one of the biggest reasons I gave my life to Christ. I'll never forget it. He's also the reason why the ministry that's now known as Youth Town has gone from literally being a small orphanage to ministering to thousands of people all over the country. They have helped. I, didn't, I had no idea this was the fact, but 95% of the kids that come through Youth Town never, ever go back into treatment ever again. 
You know what the difference is? The difference is Christ. Why is that? Well, it's because a guy decided that he would accept God's new beginning in his life. That's what he did. He decided that he would accept God's new beginning in his life. And I'm thankful for it. I sent him a message Friday, and I said, I want you to know I'm telling your testimony in my message today on Sunday. And he said, I'm humbled, my friend. I'm humbled. The text today in Ezra is telling about the people finally getting back to where they had been sent to. The people were in exile, far away from God. They had not done any kind of spiritual anything in 70 years. And they take a four-month track. It took four months to get back. They walked four months through rough terrain and everything to get back to Jerusalem. And on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and it's found in Ezra chapter 3. And I'm going to pick up and start reading in Ezra chapter 3. We've talked about how the first message was, was that God is in full control. It was God who said, King Cyrus, who was a pagan, you will allow these people to do this. This is what, you're going to be my man to do this, even though you're a pagan. And then it was also King Cyrus who said, no, listen, don't just take, don't just go back and do it on your own. I want to give you all the things from the temple. And I want to give you all those things to take back. Oh, and by the way, all these neighbors, they're going to give you stuff too. And so you're not going to go back empty handed. You're going to go back with, with some wealth so that you can buy the things to, to, uh, to do the temple. That's what I want you to do. And so then we pick up in Ezra chapter 1. I mean, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Early in autumn, when the Israelites had settled into their own towns, and all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose, then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shetau, with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. I want to stop right there. I want you to see two names here. Jeshua, all right, I want you to see that name. And uh, Zerubbabel. Now, I want to tell you, this would be very easy for you to remember, okay? Those two names are super important. Here's why. Sometimes uh, I, will, I will get an opportunity. Someone will ask me something like, hey, you know, well, you want to come over and help me lay flooring down, all right? I, I, I'll get that request sometimes. Now, let me, or, or hey, can, I'll call somebody and say, I'll say, can you help me work on my car? Now, when I say, can you help me work on my car, what I'm saying is, is can I watch you work on my car, and I will bring the spiritual and emotional support for you as you do what I need you to do because I have no idea what I'm doing. That's what it means, all right? So, for instance, Kip and I have laid some uh, floors before, uh, even my own floor, and Philip too. Uh, we've laid some floors before in my house uh, when we were getting it ready for, to sell. Uh, and literally, I was the grunt, all right? It was like, hey, go get that hammer. I'd go, okay. And I provided the uh, emotional and spiritual support and the good conversation with their knowledge and work. That's what happened. So I want you to understand something. When it says Jeshua, Jeshua was the spiritual person, all right? He was the spiritual leader of this whole thing. And Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was the builder, and he was the one that, he, he was, he, this is, the first temple was called Solomon's temple. This temple will be called Zerubbabel's temple because he will be the main guy. He will be the one in charge, help directing and leading the way. And I wanted to make sure you understood that before we, before we went on. 
It said this, it said, it said uh, they wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses. The man of God, even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at the old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord each morning and evening. They celebrated the feast of, of shelters as prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offered the regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon celebrations and the annual festivals as prescribed by the Lord. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord 15 days before the festival of shelters began. The priest had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Don't forget that. Um, then the people hired masons and carpenters and bought cedar logs from the people of Tyre and Sidon, paying them with food, wine, and olive oil. And where did they get the food, wine, and olive oil? They got them from the neighbors that they had gotten before they left, the people where they were in captive. The logs were brought down from Lebanon mountains and floated along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea of Joppa. The king, uh, for King Cyrus had given permission for this. Uh, if you recognize the logs were brought down from Lebanon mountains, that's the same place where the logs were brought down from the first temple, uh, from the Lebanon mountains. That's the same place where Solomon brought the logs down. The, uh, the construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem. The workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel, the son of Shital, and, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests and all the Levites. The Levites who were 20 years old and older were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. The workers at the temple of God were supervised by Jeshua with his sons and relatives and Cadmiel and his sons and descendants of Hod... This is a hard one. Hodaviah. I looked that up too. Uh, they, were, they were helped uh, in this task uh, by the Levites and the family of Hinnadad. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places and blows to, to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Aspha, uh, clashed with their cymbals and praised the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang the song of the Lord. He is so good, his faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all of the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord uh, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard in a far-off distance. What's going on here? Well, what's going on is, is they've come back to the land. They've come back to the land, and they have decided that, that first things need to be first things. And so they're going, and they are going to celebrate the, the uh the Festival of Tents. Now, I want, to, I want you to understand what that is. If you didn't know what that is, the shelters, you would go right past that. You'd miss it. Well, I want you to understand, they have literally traveled for, for, for four months. They had traveled and traveled and traveled. They get to where they were going to go. Everyone went to their locations to find their old homes if they were there or to find some kind of shelter as they were there. And then they all reassembled back in. And the scripture says that they did so with a unified purpose. They came back to Jerusalem because the reason they were going back is to build the temple back. They all came back in. They had just literally gotten settled in their homes, and they all came back up. And what the festival that they celebrated was the one where, and they would do this every year, they would go and they would get and live in a tent outside of their own home to remember the, the way that they brought them out of Egypt and how God had protected them through the wilderness. That's what they would do. So can you imagine, I can imagine myself, Wendy and I making this long trek 
her finally getting everything set up, getting the cups all done, and the pictures are on the wall, and everything is great, and we're finally settled. And I'm like, hey, girl, grab the tent. Come on. We're going to go sit outside for, you know, four, five, 10, 15, 20 days. Come on. That wouldn't go over real well, and it probably wouldn't go over well with you, but that's exactly what they did. Why is that? Because it was important to them. It was important to them. And so they did the offering first, though. Why'd they do the offering first? Well, they did the offering first because they hadn't done it in so long. It was a new beginning for them. It was a new beginning for what they were doing. Brand new for them. I want you to understand something here. And this is going to be the first point, all right? And I want you to hear this. God is a God of new beginnings. I want you to hear that. God is a God of of new beginnings, and I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for that. And a lot of times what we do is, is we kind of scoff over that and we move right on to the next thing, but I don't want you to miss this. God is a God of new beginnings. He is. I, uh, I substitute taught here at Central last Tuesday, and I ran into a kid, a uh, little bitty sweet, sweet little kid, um, and I had his mother uh, in my youth group. A long time ago, which means I'm old, all right? But I had his mother in a youth group, and his mother was a sweet, sweet girl in our youth. The only problem is, is his mother, his mother, and you know, these things happen, but his mother got married to the wrong person, and it was a very bad relationship, and she struggled, and they ended up getting a divorce. And I remember, this is so amazing, Mother, his mother, this kid's mother always had so much character. She was such a hard worker, and she would literally go, and she would work 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week at a grocery store to provide for her and her kid. And I remember seeing her, I remember seeing her around town, and I, I can't tell you how many times I saw her, and she would be sitting in a booth eating by herself. And she had her work clothes on. And I felt so sorry for her. And I would go talk to her, and I'd, I'd say, listen, God is going to bring you your new beginning. He's going to do it. And she said, I know, I believe that. And she would date people here and there, but, man, she was so protective of her son, and she was like, I'm not going to go out and marry the wrong person again. And here's the amazing thing. About five or six years ago, she met the right person. And I love, I follow her on Instagram. I love seeing all the pictures of her and her three children now. Two, two smaller children, and then there's the boy. And I love, I love seeing the fact that they're committed to Christ and seeing the fact that they walk with Christ and that the man that she married is someone who is upright and treats her right the way she should be treated. I love those new beginnings. You know, we have a tendency, if we don't watch out, we have a tendency. We can really, really screw up our lives, can't we, with decisions? I tell kids all the time, listen, you know, don't make a decision right now that's going to mess up your life for the next 50 years. And we can do that from time to time. And that's exactly what she did. <laughs> but here's the thing. God is a God of new beginnings. And that's exactly what we're seeing today in the text. He's a God of new beginnings. 
God loves to turn the corner and show you the next thing coming down the pike. He loves to turn the corner. He loves restarts. It's so cool. Um, when Wendy went to Israel, um, she, uh, she, she told me about the supposed tree uh, that Zacchaeus was in, and she got to see uh, what they think was a tree like it or maybe it. And um, every time I think about Zacchaeus, I always think about new beginnings because here he was, he was hated by everybody, and all it took was one day and one touch from Christ, and suddenly he had a new beginning. And his whole outlook had changed, and everything was different in one day. And that's exactly what these people are celebrating. They're saying this, they're saying, hey, I want to tell you something. We have come back here, and we all have went to our old homes, but now we're going to get about the business of what God's doing. He is doing a new beginning, and we're all going to come together with one purpose, and when we come together, we're going to come together with one purpose, and we're going to do exactly what he asks us to do. And here's the second point. The first thing he wants us to do is to worship. What do I say that for? I say this. Our new beginnings begin with a, first, with a God-first mentality. Our new beginnings begin with a God-first mentality. It begins with a God-first mentality. I have some people here uh, who go to our church here that uh, decided that they wanted to sell their home. And they began to pray about it, and they weren't sure. They just wanted a bigger home, and they were praying about it and stuff. And I kept telling them, just put God first. You'll be fine. And they have. They've done that. Since I've known them, they've done that. It was just a couple years. They've put God first in their, in their marriage. They've put God first with their children, and, and they had, had done that. And I said, well, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You honor God, and he'll honor you. And if you do that, I promise you, you're going to see really incredible things. And I'm so happy that this week I got a text, and it says, hey, we're under contract with our house we're selling. And I was like, woohoo! And then the next morning, hey, we're under contract with our new house. Woohoo! All right. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because God honors people that put him first. In Matthew, and I think we got the text up here, Matthew chapter 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. All right? And here's what it says. And he will give you, he will give you everything that you need. The people uh, in Ezra's day came back and they said, listen, we're not going to get settled in to our same old ways, same old thing every day. We're not going to do that. We've got a job to do. And here's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to worship God first. And we're going to put God first. We're going to have a God first mentality. And that's the exact same thing that my friend Nick did too. I'm going to put God first. I'm not going to think about myself I'm not going it's so funny because for years after he started working at Youth Town, Nick would not play golf, which was kind of crazy. He didn't play for a long time. And I'm like, Nick, for golf for you, man, it's like breathing. Are you kidding me? I mean, come on. He said, I can't do it yet. Now he eventually was able to do it, and he did it. And he went forward and he still plays today. He may be on the course this afternoon. I don't know. But I can tell you that he wanted to put God first. And sometimes putting God first means that you've got to set aside other things that you think are important in your life. And I'm not sure what that is for you. But if you want to get that new beginning, a lot of times you have to set aside some of those things. God is a God of new beginning. And our new beginning has to start with a God first mentality. Now, I don't know if you noticed something in the text. And we're going to close with this. But one of the things that you notice in the text when I read it is that what they did is they came together, they gave the spiritual offering, they got everything set up, and then it says they laid the foundations of the temple, all right? Now, they were very meticulous about this. They laid the foundations of the temple. And it said once the foundations of the temple started being laid, 
Everybody was like, woohoo, and they started throwing a party. It was like, yeah, yeah, all right, man, look at this. This is awesome. Look what God's doing. We came back. It's been a long trip. It's been about seven months since we left. Uh, when we were in exile, we're out of exile. We've come out of this bondage. We're back in the area. Everyone's went back to their homes and got them all set up. All right. We've come together. We've got these logs coming in. We've got the foundation of the temple. It is laid. The foundation is laid. The outline of the temple is laid. And it said, but some of the elder people, they wept loudly and they were upset. Guys, listen. Everyone is not going to celebrate your new beginning. I want you to hear that. Not everyone is going to support or celebrate your new beginning. It's not going to happen. Do you know what was going on here with the, with the older people? Here's what was going on with the older people. They were upset because they had seen the former temple. And they were upset because it wasn't as nice as the new temple was going to be. It wasn't as grand as the new temple was going to be. They estimate in today's dollars that the first temple that Solomon built would have been an $8 billion temple. $8 billion. That's like six and a half Mercedes-Benz domes, all right? $8 billion is what they think it would cost in today's dollars to build the first temple. And so these older people had seen the old temple and they started with, there's a scripture, I hope you got it, Lena. I think I sent it up there, that in, in uh, Zechariah 4, Zechariah 4, 8 through 10, uh, Zechariah was one of the prophets during this time. And it says, then another message came to me from the Lord. And here's what it says. Zerubbabel is one, the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's army has sent me. And then it says this, and I love it. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Then the seven, the seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. It says, do not despise this new beginning. So Zechariah heard this, and he said, hey, listen, you don't need to despise this new beginning. You don't, it may look small now, but it's not going to be small. Not everyone is going to celebrate your new beginning. Do you know why not everybody's going to celebrate your new beginning? Because a lot of times when you decide to change, it means that they have to change too. And people don't like to change. And that's a fact. If you decided to commit to Christ in a, in a, in a radical way, that means that your mom or dad may have to say, why are you doing this? Well, what are you doing? I had those questions. I did. My mom and dad were mad at me for a couple years after I committed to Christ because they were like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I don't understand why you're doing this. They understand now, but they didn't understand then. That's why. People around you may have to change. And here's what God says. Even if everyone doesn't understand, do it anyway. It's so funny because... I had talked to Nick several times about his old buddies from Memphis. And it's funny because he said, you know, he called me Bear Eye. He said, you know, Bear Eye, those guys all live in the past, man. 
And the truth is, is they don't even know me. They don't even know who I am now. Can I tell you what my goal is? My goal is when I get on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, when I go back home, my goal is for the people I went to high school with to not even know me anymore. I want to have allowed Christ to change me so much they don't even know me anymore. I think that's what new beginnings do. And I hope it does it for you. It's for sure going to do it to these people that are building this temple and that were assigned the job. I want to encourage you today to look for and believe for a new beginning in whatever area of your life that you need God to touch. I believe it. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the people here who are attentive and, and who listen and, and learn and take notes and who, who want to know more about you and, and who want everything that you have for them. God, I pray that you would uh, bless them today. I pray that you would show them the new beginning that comes with fully 100% opening up and submitting and surrendering to you. God, I pray that you would give us a heart that says Jesus first and everything else second. God, I fully believe if we do that, we won't have to worry about growing a church. It'll be so contagious that people will just want to know what the heck we're doing. And they'll want a part of it too. Let us be contagious Christians. Let us be people that live our lives in a way we show big grace, big mercy, and big love. That's my prayer for this church. And God, let us embrace and accept our new beginning in the areas of our lives where we need it most. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and let's sing a final worship song. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless, and remember to love God, love others, and live real.